Hello and welcome to a very, very special... <laughs> yeah, screw up. Hello and welcome to a very special television. I'm Toby Jones. I'm Mike Schultz. And I'm Ben Hansen. Should I say more? Uh, no, that's pretty good. I'm Alex Horeb. Yeah, we got a special guest with us today, Mike Scholes, coming at us from where? Where is it? Just outside Duluth, Minnesota, Mike. I am in Renshaw, Minnesota, ah. where we have a giant barn in which we have film festivals. That's that's why I live here. In which he has his own uh, podcast, also, which you should check out. Which is at freerangefilm.com. Excellent. Well, please listen to it. Please. Yes, please. Thank you. We we work so hard on it. And only our parents, so far, are listening to it. And uh, and Mike is a kind of an expert on the on the on the giant rubber monster genre, so we thought it was a good idea to bring him in uh, on this episode about the uh, '90s uh, Gamma trilogy, directed by Shusuke Kaneko. So let's go ahead and start ourselves off with a little background about the genre. Everyone knows about Godzilla, uh, and may know that Toho Studios was a producer who also became the producer of these 90s camera movies. Uh, not everyone knows that, I, I wouldn't call a stretch to call it a Japanese equivalent of the James Bond series in that it has uh, lasted for several decades and keeps reincarnating itself for whichever era it's in. There are actually three separate eras of the Godzilla series, and during the original run, of the original era in the uh, late 50s, 60s, and 70s, there is a um, kind of a, a rival, maybe a mimicker, called Gamera, about a giant turtle who had uh, rockets for legs. And as with Godzilla, he was a terror in the original and then became the friend, specifically to all children, in the subsequent films, which I find to be uh, incredibly boring. I don't know about you guys. Well, do you think it would be fair to call Gamera like the, the Pepsi monster? I mean, well, any of the originals, was he like the Coke, Pepsi, uh, Aquaman, Submariner, so like an equivalent but not quite the same... He, he was kind of like, it's my understanding that at the time, he was kind of like, you know, the Marshmallow Mateys, uh, just kind of like, he was seen as kind of a second-tier knockoff. Uh, Mike, uh, what do you think? Yeah, I think Pepsi's a good, uh, that's a good analogy, because there's also an RC and, and even a, a Shasta. <laughs> um, some other studios tried to make, a, a, there's a, a Gappa, the Triamphibian, and there's a, a thing called Garara. Which was also known as the X from Outer Space, and and those are, those are bottom of the barrel, just <laughs> terrible film. I mean, Gamera is a respectable, uh, you know, second tier monster. I think that was that, that analogy was perfect. And like a lot of us, kind of, I think that the those old, especially the older uh, monster movies, are associated kind of with youth in their films that we've all kind of grown up with on some level. I certainly watched my share of Godzilla films when I was a kid. But I wasn't privy to Gamera's existence at all when I was younger. Did any of you know anything about Gamera? I knew I knew he existed. Just I mean, I guess just for the novelty of, I knew there was a Gamera. I knew he was a giant turtle. That was the extent of it. I never watched it in movies. I didn't know he was in the Godzilla universe. I just knew that a Gamera existed, and he was a giant turtle. And I knew that he had rockets and tusks. And that was my extent. You know, it, you know, throughout junior high and high school, I knew he existed from uh, when HBO used to do free samples. And they played the original Gamera movie, and I didn't understand it, and I was bored. I was very young, and I just wanted original Godzilla series. And it should be added, I also didn't know there were uh, more modern Godzilla incarnations, either the 80s series or the millennial 
series. I had no idea. I just thought it was the ones they play on Joe Bob Riggs or a sci-fi, uh, the original 50s, 60s, 70s ones. Uh, Mike, did you did you ever watch Gamma Films when, yeah, you... when I was growing up in... I, I did. Uh, before... Uh, most of us remember KVRR from Fargo, Channel 15. Certainly. In its early days, it was a yeah, it was a it was a strictly UHF uh, station. I think eight homes in the greater Fargo Moorhead area could get you know clear reception on it. And in their very early days, when they were called uh, KVNJ, they ran, I think, almost exclusively Gamera films for a while. Uh, they, they ran a lot of bad stuff, including Gamera, and so that was my first uh, exposure to Gamera. And it, it, <coughs> I was uh, I, I was in, and they used to play Gamera films, you know, almost every Saturday and Sunday afternoon because you know I assume it was all that they had laying around, and so I saw a lot of uh, Gamera, Jaguar, and Dimogene, this giant monster that. Uh, or this giant uh, statue that, that turns into sort of a stone samurai. Well, that sounds awesome. That's 20 feet tall. Um, and I just uh, fell in love with it. Oh, it is. Diamond Gene is awesome. If you haven't seen it, try and, try and find it. There's a, three films that came out during the same monster boom in the mid-60s. Uh, and they were also by Daie, the, the studio that did Gamera. And uh, it kind of combines the whole giant monster genre with uh, samurai films. It's fantastic. I love them all. So Gamera had this kind of reputation as a as a second tier uh, giant monster. You know, very silly, particularly very uh, child centric. uh, You know, really for younger viewers, and and uh, and and they kind of disappeared after kind of in the eighties until Toho. Uh, got got Gamera uh, from Daie and and decided to to reboot um, Gamera into a balls to the wall big budget badass action film, which did quite well in Japan, from what I can understand. Do you, uh, Mike? Do you know a lot about like how it got started? Like who pitched this or how how they decided to bring uh, you know. A thirty-year-old series back for a big-budget reboot. I I believe it was um, the the director uh, uh, Kaneko. Is that his name? It's something yeah. escapes me. Say, sh- uh, yes, Kaneko. He uh, 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 you know his dream from childhood was to make Godzilla films, but I don't think they wanted to give him the keys to the Godzilla kingdom, and so he. Uh, pushed hard to do uh, these Gamera films, which, you know, people didn't care as much about it, and they were willing to take more of a risk with Gamera. And um, the films, uh, kind of against all odds, uh, became extremely well-regarded. They, they came out parallel to the, uh, the 90s. Toho was also putting out these... Uh, pretty solid uh, Godzilla films in the 90s. And these, these Gamera films came out parallel to those and pretty much in the eyes of genre fans kind of blew them out of the water. And since then, they've kind of earned this reputation of being pretty much the tip-top uh, best that giant rubber monsters kind of have to offer. And um, we've all kind of revisited these films recently. And I guess sort of the main thing we want to discuss is, uh, is the films and kind of if they are really 
truly the, the top tier of uh, giant rubber monsters. And uh, I absolutely think they are. And there's a lot of key differences between them and Godzilla movies that I think make them superior, in my mind. Uh, we should tell folks that the, it is a trilogy that came out uh, every year, right? One a year per year, or over a four-year span? Uh, that's right. uh, the first one came out in 95, the second one in 96, and then the last one came out in 99. Okay. Was it planned to be a trilogy, or did they just? was it after the first one they decided to go through, or was it always planned to be three movies? Uh, I don't think it was planned as a trilogy. Mike, do you know? He hoped it would be a trilogy, and the studio hoped it would be a trilogy. He, he um, but, but, you know, it was a case-by-case, film-by-film sort of thing. Okay, so like the original Star Wars. And Mike, you're kind of a resident expert, so if you can throw anything about like critical and audience reaction in Japan and stuff like that, it'd be much appreciated if you have it. Oh, I can't. I can do that. Do the audiences in the audiences in Japan just went nuts for these movies. More they, so than uh, a, a Godzilla movie. Yeah, even more so than the Godzilla movies, because when when these were coming out um, uh, in the late nineties, Val and actually, Val and I were actually living in Japan at the time, and the Godzilla movies were coming out, and they were clearly being marketed uh, towards kids. And the Gamera films, they decided, well, let's just make these for adults and uh, see how that goes and see if we can still get away with that. And, uh, and they did. Uh, we, we actually went to the premiere of Gamera 3, uh, even though my Japanese was really shaky. And um, the audience was, uh, you know, 50% kids and 50%, you know, 30 or 40-year-old guys who live in their parents' basement. It was, uh, it was a huge success. That's awesome. Being to the premiere in Japan. Yeah, it was. It was quite a. It was quite a. It was a seminal moment in my life because uh, you know I I always loved these films as a kid and I I never thought I'd actually get to go to the premiere of one because you know they just don't play that much in the states other than that terrible Matthew Broderick Godzilla film. Um, did you at that point had you seen the first two of the? Kaneko Gamma films already, or were you going in kind of blind? I had seen them, but I'd seen them in Japanese. You know, we we uh, spent a lot of time at our, our local uh, video uh, lentil place, and, and it actually said video lentil, L-E-N-T-A-L on their sign, which uh, you know, I, don't, I don't know if they knew how, how hilarious that was to us. <laughs> and... Um, they, uh, you know, that we rented all the Godzilla films, all the Gamera films, uh, the original Ring when that came out, and, we, and you know, we just knew maybe five percent of the Japanese that was being spoken in these films. But the the three Gamera films uh, were so visual that we had no problem following them, and so yeah, we we went into the third one, you know, f- f- fairly sure of what was going on. So yeah, the the first uh, Gamera film, Guardian of the Universe, came out in '95, and it's very clear when you first start watching it that this is a giant monster movie on a whole different level from virtually anything else that come out prior to that even really compared to the best that Godzilla has had to offer really like from the beginning you can tell that you're watching something that is just like of the utmost quality uh do you guys agree about that Oh yeah, yes. and it it just it looks better, and as we know it, it looks better than some of the Godzilla movies that came out subsequent to it. And we'll get we'll in my in my mind, we'll get to that in a little bit. But 
Mike, do you know, and we watched a little bit of the extra features on this new Blu-ray, which we all highly recommend, uh, but do you know how they got it so that the modeling or the costumes and just kind of, and scale in general, looks superior? Was there a particular secret? Was it just meticulous craftsmanship? I don't know. I, you know, I don't really know to to that extent how they got the the look that they did. That it it had to have just been money. I uh, I, I actually met the guy who did the designs for them, uh, and uh, he only spoke Japanese and I only spoke English. So that's about as as that's as in depth as I can go on that. <laughs> I'm afraid. So you hugged him, and it was very awkward. <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> and I, I also I want to I don't want this to be a dump on Godzilla Fest either because all the Godzilla movies are really fun and I like them all and they're all great. I mean I well I don't like them all. I like most of them. They're a lot of fun. So but there, there really is a stark difference between the Gamera movies and the Godzilla movies. That's not to say that you know don't watch the Godzilla movies because they're still super fun. It's just this will really take you to a new level. And I think what did it for me was the scaling issue. Uh, oftentimes with the Godzilla movies, it was, you know, cameras far apart, and y- you realize, okay, you, you forget, oh, these are, you know, two guys in rubber suits battling around cardboard boxes. It, it seemed almost like professional wrestling uh, with just, you know, cardboard buildings around that they're smashing into. The Gamera movies, you never, ever lost scale. It was always looking up. It was always this beautiful-looking real city. It was always monsters causing real havoc. So you really understood that, yeah, this is a city that's being destroyed, these are, you know, these forces of nature that are existing within the city, as opposed to, here's two monsters fighting in this really decorated ring. Yeah, and, and another one of the things you get, you notice almost immediately in the first of the three uh, Gamma films, is how much care is taken to making the human characters much more believable and making the human story just much better uh, than what really has mostly come before it in the genre. Uh, in the Gamma films as a whole, and I think it especially, not especially, but, you know, this is clear from the beginning, you care about the, the human characters, and they're really the heart of the thing. And uh, that's something, like, I feel like out of the gate, Guardian of the Universe really, really hit all these things home. So Yeah, and I, I, I've heard uh, Shiseki uh, Kaneko uh, say that, you know, the, the very first Godzilla film had that big budget, and it had... You know the special effects director A.G. Tsuburaya. He was he was given the money he needed to build really elaborate sets and to build buildings that would fall apart and look like real buildings falling apart, not just little cardboard you know things. And uh, and he he said you know over time obviously they abandoned the budget and eventually they even abandoned cities and just had Godzilla fighting other creatures on beaches and, and, you know, tropical locations so they wouldn't have to build cities at all. And, um, and so I think it was just a matter of, of budget. He just demanded and got the, the, the budget he needed to make it as, you know, as much like the original 56 Godzilla film as, as he possibly could. And, um, uh, yeah, I think it shows. That's actually another thing that it has in common with the original Godzilla film is that the original Godzilla film, you really do feel for the human characters and you really do feel their terror at what's going on, which is something that I can't say for any of the other Godzilla films. Um, I've seen. I mean, you'll like the characters and you maybe even care about them, but you don't feel nearly that level of an emotional connection. 1985's Godzilla, which was the kickoff of the second series, uh, tries his damnedest to capture that spirit and give him a real city, which he like actually like falls asleep against or like kind of faints against and keels over. But Toby and I, at least... 
both found its pacing to be so off uh, and so just just drag things out so much that didn't work. Whereas Gamera is fantastical enough while taking it, it, it I, I really like the balance. From the first movie on, uh, fantastical, you know, mythos as an explanation for the background, characters taking a giant turtle fighting whatever fantastical creature seriously, uh, but still being fun and dramatic at the same time. I don't know if I'm quite getting what I want uh, out of that. But I think we should also actually delve into the actual plot plot of the first movie. Just uh, uh, let, let's go over our bad guy here. Sure. That, we, we have kind of a, a, a reprisal of one of the more well-known villains from the original Gamera series, which is the Gauss, uh, the flying kind of bird-like creatures. Uh, and this is, uh, again, this is a, a full reboot of, of Gamera as a character. So, And interestingly, you start with these Gauss, these creatures kind of terrorizing people before you get to see Gamera. Which are, they're, I would describe them as being kind of like pterodactyls that might be a little cheap, but what I did like about them was there were small ones that eventually became bigger, and you, you learned about their history, and you learned about their fantasy biology. And it reminded me of one of my favorite movies, Tremors, in which you also learn about this creature that's never existed biology existed biology not really for the purpose of the plot just because it's fun and i like how creative that is um and yeah, that was such a good idea to set up gamera and gauss as these eternal rivals uh from from ages ago i think that's I, I, right off the bat you can tell they they've thought more about this movie or this upcoming trilogy than than you know godzilla's makers have thought in you know decades and so the first thing you see with the gauss is uh uh you know they're sort of terrorizing these people and then just you know barely off screen and they keep being described as you know birds these birds are killing people and so you know they start to uh investigate to see you know what's going on and uh, it starts off as a much smaller i mean they're still big birds but they're not they're not city destroying size yet but uh so it's not like there's just you know the gauss it's it's almost like there's this this race of birds that was awakened which you find out later uh, of course as with all monster movies they're never the fault humans have to have some involvement in this and they awaken them by creating this environment with all the pollution so that now these these uh sort of new species has, has is sort of taking over um, and just uh, really, you know, really carnivorous and, and just destroying people. Uh, and they're these beautiful, really flat heads, which when I first saw them, I was taken aback. But I just thought about it for a couple of seconds, and I just love it. It just gives this really, uh, you know, dinosaur sort of look to it. Yeah, I've heard them compared to hood ornaments, but I, I really like the look of Gauss. It's, it's unique. Yeah, I completely agree. And uh, in the film, just it, it sets the story going where you get introduced the, to these main female characters. You have the, the, the bird expert who, of course, as it goes on, it becomes more and more kind of inexplicable that she is involved in this massive national uh, uh, fight against these birds, but whatever. And uh, you've got the, the girl who has a spiritual connection to, to Gamera. And, uh, and you just you really get into this story with these characters. And what I, what I really like about it, especially because most most Godzilla films kind of have what is known as the boring scenes where you sit and you have to listen to, you know, political discussions or just sort of like what really sometimes feels like just filler uh, versus these, the, the action scenes with the monsters, which is what you're you know, supposed to be there to see. Whereas what I really like about this, especially this first uh, Gamera film, is that for me, I'm not sitting there waiting for the monsters to show up. I'm genuinely enjoying even the see the political discussions and everything. It's all snappy enough and done with enough uh, personality that 
that you care about all of it. And unlike the original Gamera movies, uh, there's no boring shit with little kids. Because it should be noted, I think the original Gamera movies are on the whole more boring than the bo- uh, in the boring scenes in most Godzilla movies. Yes, so, absolutely. Yeah, well, they're they're made for kids, and they they star kids in really tiny short shorts, yeah. and uh, <laughs> uh, they play really well on Mystery Science Theater three thousand. That's the only thing I'll give them. Yeah. <laughs> Although watching all of them in a row gets pretty, still gets pretty pretty taxing. Uh, but um, you're on to this. Uh, the, Gam- so- the other thing about the Gamera movies, though, is it also uh, this one starts off uh, characters that you will end up seeing throughout the trilogy. Uh, most notably, uh, the guy who first sees is, is he first sees Gamera, first sees Hello. Gauss. I think it's the one who first sees Gauss. He first sees Gauss, the guard. He's yeah, a, a guard. So. Yeah, he's a policeman in Nagasaki. And it's something that confuses me greatly that the Godzilla series never came up with like. Not even, like, a Q character in James Bond. Like, I always thought, like, it would seem like an easy go-to, having, like, a scientist who's warning everybody that no one listens to. No, guys, really, there's a giant monster coming this time. Or just, or, or somebody who's connected to God's, and it never happened in the series. And uh, Gamera makes a very obvious choice to include several reoccurring characters. And then one thing... Oh, sorry. And another thing is, uh, is that we... One thing that we kind of I forgot to mention is just sort of like how much care is put into the introduction of Gamera in this film. You get all this stuff with the Gauss first, you get introduced to all the human characters, and then the film introduces Gamera. And it's clear just immediately how much care has been put into this, this suit and how much personality it has. And just, and again, the scale and the weight that everything has, you just immediately, like, you kind of get that sense of awe that... That, is, that had been missing from a lot of the Godzilla films for most of its history of like, this is a giant creature and it really is alive is what it feels like when you, when you first see Gamera in this first film. And my jaw is absolutely on the floor when he takes off with leg rockets that make him spin, spin around to fly and it looks cool. Yeah, it takes the stupidest thing from the old Gamera films and just make, makes him look badass. So we have, uh, and so, you know, Gamera saves the day, and we move on to our, uh, I think we should move on to the second movie. <laughs> uh, uh, are there any other notes about the, the first the, film? The one thing uh, I want to tell you is, is, I think, what I think is one of the most striking scenes uh, in all three of them, one of my favorite ones, is uh, when when you see the full-on Gauss, you know, the, 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 the queen that's coming out. By the way, yeah, they're all female, and they're all uh, puppeteered by females, with the idea of making have female wrestling. But when the final man was just going through the city, wrecking up, and it just... It just sleeps in the middle of the city, just because yeah. it, like, it just completely doesn't care. And then they start attacking it, and it goes, "Ah, screw this!" Beats him away, and then it goes, "Mount, what is it? Mount on?" Yeah, I don't. I, I don't know. I think there's some famous, but I, you know, I, mean, I don't. But it just and you have this yeah. Tokyo Tower. Tokyo Tower. You just have this long, you know, this wide shot of this giant bird pterodactyl perched on there, and you have this sunset. I just think it's just this really, really punchy imagery. It's like, wow, that thing is huge. And it completely has no regard for the city. And I love it. It doesn't just go retreat back to the sea like some regular monster. It's here to stay because it knows that no one's going to do anything about it. And it's a contrast. It's a good angle. It's Sergio Leone directs a giant monster movie. It's, it's some care is put into it. That image is actually currently my desktop background. Yeah. And, and one, thing, one final kind of note about the, the original uh, of the three films is also the, like, the kind of thesis of the films is, you know, bring back this bringing this really realistic adult take on the monster genre. But that actually becomes more evident later because the first one, while it is, you know, it's more adult and feels more real, it still kind of has a a fun adventure feel to it. Like, 
uh, it really could play to, to lots of different audiences, I think. And that's definitely, I think that's a, that's a good thing. I, when you watch it, it really does feel fun. I think you also think the one last thing we need to talk about, because it does work, it starts to, to establish, I mean, aside from the fact that they're giant monsters, it establishes the supernatural element with this this young girl being connected to Gamera. And as he's getting hurt, she's also feeling pain. And that just sort of adds an, an extra level of... of um, uh, spirituality. I mean, I mean, the fact that it's monsters is already right. sci-fi, but this this takes it one step different as opposed to this isn't a world that just the monsters. Exist. There's other uh, extraordinary things that happen, and this girl, you know, when Gamera's getting beat up, she's also getting you know hurt with it. It's also really, uh, uh, you know, a really thought-provoking thing where you see it's like, oh wow, you know, here's a person that's also taking the same damage that Gamera's taking. And it somehow makes uh, giant turtle fighting things uh, and makes it personal and sympathetic. Yeah. Um, and Mike, uh, did you have any final thoughts on the first movie? I didn't want to shortchange you. Uh, well, that's fine. Uh, the uh, I liked what you were saying about the um, the connection between the, the, the young woman and, and Gamera and how they brought that in. I, I like that the, the film isn't afraid to have magic stones and magic eggs and things like that uh, uh, because, you know... Uh, I think Japan, even audiences in Japan were a little over the giant rubber atomic monsters. Uh, they, they needed, um, I think, a little bit of magic to, to help them suspend their disbelief. And they they really get into that by the, by the time you get to the third one. There's, uh, you know, endless discussions of the magic beast from the east and the magic one from the south. And, and I, I just love that stuff. Yeah, the magic stuff is great because, like, honestly, on some level... Just having kind of a simpler explanation of this being, you know, this this uh, mythical magic creature, this how simple it is makes it almost easier to believe than some long-winded attempt at a scientific explanation. Well, that was more like the connection. I mean, they did discuss how how they made the the, the Gauss to be this perfect animal, and then it just went awry. And so, as uh, you know, the civilization was crumbling. They built Gamera as the one final protectorate, saying, you know, we screwed up. Sorry, guys, but. We'll fix it too. I mean, but they didn't. I mean, it was just enough explanation where I go, okay, you put some thought into it, but they didn't take the time to bore me. Like, you know, this is the mechanics behind it. This is how they installed the rocket, so it's bio. I just didn't care. There was just enough of one where I go, okay, you put some thought into it. Now get me into the actual movie. And I'll actually push back a little bit. I think uh, as the series goes on, the uh, con- the continuing callbacks to the mythos behind the monsters. I actually think it gets to be a little bit much, especially in the third one. There's so much explanation. Um, I actually would have toned down it a little bit. Um, not a lot. It's not a big complaint by any stretch, and certainly compared to some Godzilla movies, uh, no way. But I actually think it could have been cut down a little bit. I, I would only say for those who might be, you know, considering doing a thesis on the Gamera trilogy, I think that third film gives them a lot of meat to chew on. And I, and I actually, I, I, uh, I'll just, I'll just disagree with you. I just love some of those scenes where they're going through the, the these old textbooks and. You know, talking endlessly about ancient magic, but but I, I love you and respect you, so so we can disagree. <laughs> so um, the the first camera film comes out and just you know pretty immediately is clear that this is kind of a whole new level of, of monster film. And very soon after that, the sequel comes out and uh, it, it's almost different in its own way and kind of takes things to another level on its own. Uh, what do you guys think about uh, this, the second film? Uh, what's the it's Gamma versus Legion? Is that is that the title or what's the it has a few different translations and titles, but the current one, the current most recent DVD release, calls it uh, Attack of the Legion. And I love the tone of Legion so much because it's set in winter, 
which I like. I just like, I mean, Mike, we actually had a little bit of an internet discussion about this recently, how you like Arctic set entertainment. I like the idea of the weather being a character and being something that's opposing the characters as well. Uh, I liked how it just felt like something I would discover uh, waking up Saturday morning and turning on the sci-fi channel because it has all these explanations of all these different weird creatures that I've never heard of. And it's so, like, creative and all over the place and at no point ever apologize. I'd say it's the craziest of the three and in just, like, sheer amount of things going on. And at no point does it ever apologize, does it ever become insincere, does it ever become in-jokey. And it just keeps, and it manages to up the ante the entire time. I, there is one, the, the first thing where you see the Legion thing, I would say, is one, one, one like, wink to the audience. Where yeah, you, you, of course, see the guard... Uh, who is this, uh, the bumbling one from the beginning who makes all these wacky faces, uh, now guarding a brewery, <laughs> uh, just, uh, just to set him off a little bit. And then it comes in and just sucks all the, uh, the, the bottling out to help, to help it grow, because that's what it feasts off of. But I, I felt that was the one scene I was just sort of like looking at the audience and going, wink, this one's for you guys, who brought him back? And it's true that we can talk about this a bit more, especially with the third one, because the Gamer films, well, they are completely... completely um uh, genuine and try to you know make it feel more real. They are self-aware in their own way. Like the first film has that great line: "One day I'll show you around a monster-free Tokyo." And the, yeah. like the central, the central like element to the third film is kind of meta in its own way. But I should yeah, the second one does kind of have its own tone and feel compared to the first one, and it's much more bleak than the first one. And uh, but it still does manage to have that that little wink when the creature gets introduced. And I wonder if it was, I mean, obviously it's a conscious choice to set it in northern Japan mostly and destroy northern Japanese cities. I think it's kind of poke, uh, a poke in the eye to some of those later um, Godzilla films from the 70s that were, were just the worst of the series. They were always set on tropical islands. And, you know, Japan isn't really a tropical island itself, you know, half it's a, it's about the same, you know, Tokyo's at the same uh, latitude as St. Louis, and half the country is, you know, mired in winter, just like we are for half the year. Uh, now, with with, uh, with Attack of the Legion, uh, just going into it, I mean, the one thing that I think we all want to talk about is the actual monster Legion itself. Completely incredible. Probably the most elaborate monster I've ever seen in any of the, in, in any, any monster, he's just... There is so much stuff going on him, and then you see the behind the scenes when you see the guy in it, and you just can't even believe how many parts are in this huge. And the fact that they they made it look realistic, you, I mean, it, you couldn't believe it that it didn't look like rubber. It was just a really nice looking, lots of stuff, tentacles, shrimp like little goobers flying off it. Like this was a complicated monster. And like I said, it's, yeah. it's like Tremors in that it has its own biology or like the first two alien movies where you're, you're discovering this new creature that I don't want to say you believe it. Well, with aliens, I would actually say you do believe it, but like, I, I would, it's not that you like, you're fearing it coming to your door, but you're like, Oh, I, I can see how this, uh, is sustainable. It has a nest. It has a way of reproducing itself. It has a way of going about like, it is not just there to terrorize you. And for some reason, I really like that. Yeah, it's, 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 it is possibly, like, the single most technically impressive giant monster I can think of. Like, Biollante from Godzilla vs. Biollante comes close in sheer scale and, uh, and ambition, but it isn't nearly as mobile. It isn't nearly as, like, actually uh, usable. It's more like just kind of a big special effect. It doesn't have, like, its, its own character necessarily. Well, he doesn't have his own ecosystem. He doesn't have, like, this is how it's born, this is how it nests, this is why the little ones are there, this is, this is what they're gathering and how it works. 
And we have the... I love the bit with the, uh, with the scientist girl who is constantly at every turn explaining how this relates to some sort of bug ecosystem. See, I disagree. That's the one part, and that's why I think it's the weakest, is her almost entirely drags it down a little bit for me. The fact that she's just always there to give an explanation of, oh, this is just like bees. Did you know bees do this? Oh, this is like the island. Did you know birds brought all of the plants to this island? And I go, okay, it's funny like once or twice, but she doesn't like, every scene she's in is she brings up some fact that is perfectly relatable to this Legion monster. I'm like, come on, just let him have his own stuff. He doesn't have to rip off other animals. <laughs> she she does have a bit of the, like, um, Big Trouble in Little China she's just exposition. Ms. Exposition. Uh, I, I have no legitimate point to counter that with, just for some reason, because it emulates the scientist from, like, you know, Creature from the Black Lagoon, that is, or, like, a, I recently watched Invaders from Mars. Just the, the, white, the white lab coat-wearing character who comes in and explains to you perfectly everything that's going on I for some reason fell for it every time I totally get what you're saying and Ben's I, also a piece of crap because he seemed to think that she's better looking uh, than the the bird scientist in the first and third one because she uh, is he's just objectively wrong Mike your thoughts on both Whoa. Uh, are we talking about the, the bird scientist the ornithologist yeah the ornithologist versus the uh, exposition filling in plot points girl I, I think I prefer the ornithologist yeah uh, there you go Oh, I'm sorry. I I just do. I, you know, I love though that the the the, the Gamera films and even the Godzilla films they make the heroes and heroines that they're scientists and journalists and they're never like lawyers or bankers. Republicans must hate these movies because it's always <laughs> it's always typical liberal you know jobs uh, <laughs> occupations that. that that, that are the heroes of these movies. And uh, it, it, you're also right, Mike, because we don't have any Transformers uh, military porn bullshit going on in any of these movies. The military... It's not anti-military, really. It's just like, uh, we can't do anything. We, we have to understand them scientifically or gamma or something, because shit. And the, the, yeah, second, the, the second one does say most times... Oh, sorry, go ahead. Well, I was just, yeah, going to agree with you. The military is either, is either completely hapless or they're wrong. In these movies, which I yeah, because in in the, I think yeah. it's in that one in the third one uh, they actually where they start saying no, Gamera's the real threat. And everyone is going, what the hell? Where were you for the last two movies? Gamera's saving <laughs> us. Gamera's kicking all these horrible monsters' asses and then leaving us alone. What is wrong with you? Just look you at can't. just look look at Legion. Clearly, he's the bad guy. Nothing <laughs> on him isn't sharp. Gamera's a turtle. Everything about this guy is just poking and destroying everything and setting up these giant nests in the middle of the city that only Gamera can break. Hell yeah, I'll let Gamera in there to break it. If he breaks a couple buildings, go for it. Because no one else is going to break this nest up. He's gone in the bee suit and taking out all the wasps in Japan. And here we are trying to hit that guy in the nuts while he's doing it. I'm sorry, military. The second one definitely spends the most time with the military characters, and I think for that reason it is, I also think, it's the weakest of the three. Because uh, it is a little bit dry compared to the other two, um, it, and that's probably to do with how bleak it is with the with the uh, with the kind of winter setting. Not to say it isn't a great uh, film, but it, it is a little bit more dry. And what, what do you guys think about the um, the first act kind of appearance of these uh, little little legions? Uh, I think in that in that era, you get to see a lot of these examples of the kind of like. It was all like Megagyrus. Megagyrus did the exact... I don't know which one came first, but it, it starts off with little podlings Mega first. Chapter. Was Megagyrus... Maybe Megagyrus... Yeah, but it's the same sort of thing where it's these little podlings collecting stuff. Uh, and, you have the larger one. and I think the idea was is we can't have the giant monster the whole time, so we need to have something 
uh, for the people to be battling or worried about. So it brings it to a human scale. Oh, maybe almost a Power Ranger sort of thing, where you're fighting the regular-sized monster. You're like, oh, yeah, that kind of stuff. And then it goes, okay, now let's get to the, the meat of it, where you have the giant monsters fighting. And I hate it's, to say it, but it's also in the Matthew Broderick uh, 98 Godzilla movie. The 90s loved little monsters to go with its big ones. And Cloverfield did the same thing, but I think Legion is easily the best. I, I actually like the little monsters. Do you do you like them, Mike? I do I do like them. And, you know, it makes sense. I mean, these are these are big budgets for these Japanese monster movies, but he still doesn't have an unlimited budget. It's just, I, I like them, but it's also just smart to, to, you know, to humanize the scale a little bit. Yeah, it's definitely, I think it's definitely a post-Jurassic uh, Park trait where you see these, I think all these films saw Jurassic Park and it's like, okay, we can do this Velociraptor thing for a little bit. Because it's in, it's in uh, the role of Emmerich Godzilla, it's in uh, Godzilla vs. Destroya. Megagyrus. After this, it's in Megagyrus, which even takes, Megagyrus actually, Megagyrus actually takes a lot of things from, from Legion. But uh, the film overall, I think it's still great and... Uh, uh, it's it's insul- you know immediately rewatchable like all the other ones, but I think it's the weakest of the three. Uh, what do you guys think? Agreed. Yeah, I would agree with that. I actually, oh, interesting. I actually like it Sorry. a little bit better than the first movie, just because I like I like the setting so much. Yeah, most uh, reviews that I've re- I've read about the films do think that they ascend in quality, and some have even said that they feel that the second one is the best. I, I disagree, but I mean I-, I wouldn't really argue too much about that. Yeah, I wouldn't argue too passionately. I think they ascend. Yeah, as long as, as long as we all agree that three is the best, I'm I'm okay with whatever you say. I think yeah. we're all Toby. Now this is what a piece of crap Toby is. Toby what? comes into my house, drinks my soda, and tells me he thinks the third one wasn't quite as good as the others. Oh, uh, to which we ro- no, to which we watched it again. I said that Toby admitted he was wrong, and I decked him. I, I appreciate that. What I said was that upon first viewing, I felt the first was the strongest. However, upon reassessing the films, I now believe the third. You now third. realize that you were wrong. Yes, I do. It was funny it's just a, because within like the first 40 minutes of the third one, we were like, what? So uh, going into the third one, uh, the, what, the formal title of the third one? Uh, I believe it's Revenge of Iris. Yes. The third The third one is is in most places I've seen regarded as the best giant monster movie ever made. Um, and upon seeing it twice now, I, I think that's definitely, I, 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 I would not disagree with that statement uh, very much. Except, you know, with the possible exception of the original Godzilla film, uh, it's, it's a truly incredible piece of work in, you know, on all levels. I, I think it's better than the original Godzilla film. I, I think it's better than any giant monster movie I've seen because it's just so bursting with... Uh... With creativity, the tone is perfect. It is genuinely bleak. I feel sad. I'm in suspense. And there are, there's even a few, I mean, just, you know, you laughed, you cried, you everything. There's a few humorous moments even in it that I actually laughed at with the of the Wolf Reporters. Um, I, I think it's the best giant monster movie, period. And uh, Mike, I, I know you feel the same way. And Yeah, everything's just I, dialed up. Yeah. I think it's one of the best. Uh, I, I'm going to engage in a little hyperbole because I think it's one of the best movies ever made. Because I saw it in Japan, and I hate to keep bringing this up, but I saw it in Japanese, and uh, it's so purely visual, and I loved it so much. I, I got I got out of the theater and said, "That's it, Val. That's the best movie I've ever seen. Nothing will ever top it." I was so excited. Now, the the exact moment that I realized that Toby was wrong. Uh, yes. Was when 
we were watching it, and, and then you start seeing uh, this iris creature uh, slowly. Uh, unlike the podlings, it, it starts off as one, and it just slowly keeps growing and growing and getting more stuff. And it was, uh, the what I think is the most interesting thing is there's this girl who really hates Gamera. And you see these flashbacks, and you see uh, this really twisted version of Gamera because it was a flashback of him. So it's what she remembered, he had all these like gnarly, much gnarlier fangs and spikes. Uh, and so she hates Gamera, she blames Gamera for the joint thing. So she, so you, you see the other side of it where most people are like, oh yeah, Gamera's great, he's saving us. She really hated him because her parents died because of him. So she starts nurturing this hate and then this monster, and she starts building this connection with it. And to me, the exact moment when Toby was the most wrong he could have been is she goes up to this monster and she looks at it in this really loving and lusty way and says, I'm so hot right now. And it wasn't in a joke way, it wasn't in a silly, it wasn't even like a romantic thing. It was like her hatred had fueled this deep sexual desire to be with this monster. And then the monster just opens up its chest and they just fuse. And that's when I just looked at Toby and I just... I just smacked him across the face because at that point I knew there's no way that this is going to be the worst. This is clearly going to be the best of them. As you described that, I've got I've got tears coming down my eyes. <laughs> but the fact that you let you you let this 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 young pretty girl have real sexual desires for this horrible monster, driven by her hatred of Gamera, I'm just like wow. There was nothing sexual in any in any giant monster movie that I could think of. No. And here you have, like, not, not even with the humans, really. You have this really, you know, lame romantic thing is the best thing you're going to get is, oh, the guy kind of likes her. But here you have this woman saying, I am so hot for this monster. And, and it's complete. You don't laugh at it. You're like, oh, wow. That's good. Opens up. And they just fuse. And I go, yes. It's, <sighs> and it's not funny. It's also not like tentacle porn, like how shocking or like. Gross or underground can this be? It's genuinely a part of the plot, and it, it doesn't play as it doesn't play as funny or anything. It just it's it's scary because like at that point you really really care about this character. And to go back to the flashback, the single most clever thing about any of the Gamera films, I think, is that we go back and we see the collateral, the unintentional collateral damage of Gamera and how human beings would actually respond to that. This this kind of thing would actually happen all the time if giant monsters actually existed. And so we go back to the first film and we see what was happening on a small, small scale that you didn't see in the beginning. And it's a, it's a total twist on the whole genre and it completely, I think it's definitely very, very uh, self-aware. Yeah, I thought that was genius. And it it's not that I, I've never seen that in another giant monster movie. You, you never see that in any movies. You know, like Con Air, they crash a plane into Las Vegas, into the Strip, but... You know, that that should be the biggest tragedy that ever befalls the United States of America. <laughs> no mention. You know, the Fast and the Furious movie, uh, uh, the last one, when I, I'm pretty sure they destroyed the entire country of Brazil. Uh, uh, <laughs> but you never hear about it. it, it was, I just thought it was genius. To say nothing of the, uh, the, the, uh, the terrible things done in Bad Boys 2. Um, and it's just like, when this moment happens, when you see this character... And her, her, her desire to be close to this repulsive creature, you see how she got there. You really believe it. And you're just, you feel so bad. You're just horrified because you know how terribly it's all going to go. But you see how she, you, you understand how she got there. And you see her get picked on, you know, before, and you know, all the bullies are picking on her. I, I mean, her life really sucks. So it gets to the point where, you're like, you know what? If I was in a situation. I mean, I don't know necessarily about being in love with the monster, but I can see one. Did, did it quit? 
Oh, I, I guess he wanted to jump in the monster and just, you know, take out a couple of their city blocks, just let them know who's boss. Yeah, absolutely. And it's just she, yeah, she wants to be protected from this this horrible creature. She sees his camera, and she feels this connection to this one. I think she might be possibly the most empathetic character in the history of the genre. Um, and, yeah, and you know, it's always kind of bullshit whenever they have like, oh, this is how the human beings are affecting the monsters, and it never really makes any sense that they can affect the monsters. But if you're gonna do that, this is the best way humanly possible because she influences and like. Because of the magical elements and the mythical elements of the movie, she can some kind of summon this monster, help fuel its hatred, fuse with it, and use its powers uh, for her benefit. I mean, when when one thinks about um, giant monsters, how they are in real life, uh, human beings can't affect them. But for these fantasy stories, this is pretty good. And Iris started taking because uh, apparently, I think the thing was Iris was trying to take DNA from the human to help evolve. So you notice that Iris had a distinctly human. Look to it more than any other monster. You know, uh, you know, Gaius was very bird-like, and Legion was just, I guess, shrimp-like. Yeah. But this actually, although it had all these beautiful, you know, like tentacles yeah. and uh, like sort of almost, were they like butterfly wings almost? Like, yeah, it's kind of like a, bio, a few like parts of Biolante got stuck on this huge I hate, monster. I hate to say it because it it looks a little Digimon, but in the nicest it, way possible. It does. But it's much more humanoid oh, than the other ones. And at first I was like, oh, it's kind of humanoid. But I'm like, no, I kind of like it. And there's a reason why it's humanoid. It is just make it. No, it's fusing and, and taking this like DNA structure from a human. So I'm like, yeah, I'll give you this really human. And then there's a lot of air battles with it too, uh, which you didn't get to see quite as much in the others. But I thought it was... Actually, there's a lot of air battles. Uh, there's there are air battles in all of them. And... I think this one takes it to a new level. Like this is yeah. like full on dog fights. Well, and they're, 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 oh. that's better. It's superior fighting to Godzilla in my mind because it seems so much. They seem so much more nimble. Godzilla feels like well, he feels like a robot monster. He's, he's out stepping on his own. He's out stepping first on his heel, lumbering very slowly, which is supposed to be kind of the. If it's supposed to be terrifying, it's supposed to be like Michael Myers terrifying. Well, in Godzilla, like, he's tri- in Godzilla versus Mothra. He's just tripping over everything. Well, yeah, and he's just he's, he's, he's just a doofus. Yeah. He's just missing all his shots and stepping on his own tail. But even in Godzilla '85 or the original one, where they're trying to make him terrifying, or even all out attack, which we'll talk about in a bit. He walks slowly and lumbering, uh, very with a very determined gait. Whereas these ones, I liked how like animalistic and how quick and fast these creatures are. It makes them look more deadly, and because they always keep the scale up, uh, it makes them look even more deadly. Because it's like if you were standing anywhere near these creatures, you're just done. And the spinning camera show when he has the, the jets going on, Woo! it's like this should be like the lamest piece of crap I've ever seen. But you just look at it from like this low city thing, and it looks like this spinning UFO. Everything's dark. You see these warring lights it's just it's beautiful it's a total zone once you're like man film really barely gets better than this and like the fact that this kind of film is <laughs> is kind of delegated to obscurity compared to the kind of junk ass american action films that come out it's just like the, the entertainment value of this is off the charts and yet we're sitting here buying you know a cheapy blu-ray thing and it's you know barely barely no one even knows about it i'm working yeah, it's sad, and what confuses me is that American TV will still play the original Godzilla series, it will not play the 80s and 90s variation, it won't play the Millennials, and it sure as hell won't play Gamera, and I'm like, listen, I can understand if you are not going to play any of them, I really could, but if you play one, and in my mind, in a lot of ways, the worst one, because it has a lot of the really kid-centric the 70s stuff that Mike was talking about, sit with Godzilla's son on the island, and it's just a pain to watch. Um, why aren't you playing these? And don't give me the, the little kids won't like it 
stuff because the little kids would like many of them. So I don't get it. It's a mystery. I, I, so, yeah. uh, are we in agreement then that the third one is more or less the, uh, the, the, the best of the three and arguably you know, kind of it deserves its reputation as the best in the genre? Definitely. Yes. Definitely. It has, it has so many callbacks to the rest of the trilogy. I, I lost Skype for a second. Did you guys uh, talk about uh, Gauss plays a huge role again in this film? Well, actually, didn't mention Gauss. Yes. No, no. Yeah, because Iris was a, a mutation of a Gauss, right? Yep. Yeah, uh, but the, the film opens with a, a baby Gauss being uh, discovered uh, uh, on some tropical island. And it... I. The scene is amazing because it's got this fantastic uh, uh, model of a baby gauss that looks like rotting flesh is falling off of it and flies are all around it. I think it's the, one of the best special effects I've, I've ever seen in one of these movies. And then uh, uh, the uh, our ornithologist uh, hero Ooh. asked where did this come from and all these little villagers point up in the sky. It's, it's, it's kind of chilling. And then the specter of gauss is just constantly over this movie. Um, and it, I, do you want to talk about the end now? The end of this movie just is is mind blowing. Yeah, it has this incredible, just I would say, you know, unparalleled uh, action sequence between Iris and Gamera in this uh, in this big uh, train station, where like the stakes couldn't possibly be higher, both on the human level and on just like you know possible you know unmitigated disaster level, and it just it, it's incredible to watch and uh they don't they don't play nice and it should be noted this one especially way more in the first one and more than legion uh is much darker in tone and much more honest i want to say honestly violent like when people get hurt there's blood when gamera gets hurt there's like real blood it's a real wound it's not the kind of it's not kind of action movie where people can take a lot of bullets although there's not a lot of gunplay it's not the kind of movie where people can get hurt and get back up and it's not the kind of movie where Giant monsters will randomly flail around and buildings will fall over. You'll see the consequences to those people, and it's genuinely sad. Yeah, glamour movies have never been afraid to show blood. I mean, it's usually green, you know, gushing blood, but it's still blood. But in this one, they uh, they actually cut off Gamera's hand. It's it's kind of shocking. Oh, yeah. I would, I would say it's the first giant monster movie I would really give a PG-13 rating to. The Matthew Broderick Godzilla was PG-13. I think it was from some swearing and some other stuff, though. This one, I would say, like, straight up, like, probably would get a PG-13 just for the, the violence factor. Uh, this yeah. is something I just, I, I just, I, I believe we just completely skimmed over. Toby's favorite character in the movie, the Nihilist. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if I would call him my favorite character, but he is awesome. The, the, the incredibly silly uh, Nihilist and uh, the, the mystical subplot in the film. Yeah, he's a video game designer, and then she, I guess I'm not sure what her uh, uh, job is, but... Uh, I remember, it's like the fortune teller of the uh, a fortune country, teller. I guess. <laughs> yeah, official uh, Japanese fortune teller. Uh, but yeah, Nihilist is the perfect way to describe them. But that guy, then, if, the, the way I remember him is, if I'll watch it in the subtitles, even though the subtitles aren't that great on the DVD, but we would, we would flip over to the dubbing uh, for parts we couldn't hear, and the guy's voice could only be described as James from Pokemon. It had this really <laughs> theatrical, feminine, uh, self-important... I almost wanted to just have his voice be dubbed because it was so... 
It was so adorable. And he was just spewing all his, yeah, it's the end of the world. This is what we need. Um, it's I, see, totally I, silly, and it's great. Because see, they, they exist both to give you exposition on the mythology of Gamera and the story and where the story is going. And also, really, for comic relief. He, he's my girl that explains that, that Legion is just related to bugs. I, th- I think he's a little too silly. I don't hate him, but I don't see what he's doing in a movie that good. I think he's an okay character in a great movie. And I'm like, I want a, I want a great character. And he's just, he seems, he's too silly. And his payoff is just... I disagree. It's he's, funny, but it's so He's exactly dumb. like the guard. He's, he has the same level of silly as the guard. And the guard made it through all three films. The guard's awesome. I think he's more... He's also espousing a pretty common Japanese uh, philosophy that the whole country is just screwed and just needs to embrace the fact that they're going to be hit by one tsunami, an earthquake, an atomic bomb after another. And uh, I, I, uh, I love that guy. The weird thing is not only that they're, and this is incredibly specific to Japan and also the, the Gamera films and kind of something kind of, something kind of under the surface of what the films are saying, which is that not only is their death and the doom overtaking the country inevitable, but also that they deserve it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, much like how There's the girl this... in the second movie uh, related the very Japanese idea that this is all related to a beehive. <laughs> <laughs> so, anyway, so the film ends with, you know, this truly unbelievable uh, action scene. And then, uh, kind of surprisingly, and kind of out of character, and maybe a little frustratingly, it ends on a cliffhanger. Well, sure, that's one way to look at it, but I think I think the the fact that these giant flock this giant flock of Gauss is, is descending on the country it's sort of what all three movies have, have been building towards. It's sort of the culmination, and then I, I just love the the sort of resigned way that that, that Gamera you know uh, uh, f- flies up to meet this flock, and and then bam, the movie ends right there because you know Gamera that's his job. That's that's what he's. Was born to do. I actually joked about this, but then the more I started thinking about it, the more I started. He he almost has like a Christ-like quality in the whole thing of him having to take all this beating. Uh, specifically, like you get the thing of of him him his hand getting nailed through, mm-hmm. and not that I you know, I don't know, but I just I, I got that feeling uh, from that sort of thing of oh my, it's like wow, he was created to save us from these Gauss who did make the comeback in the third, like they mentioned. There are other birds, and they just sort of, you know, forgot about in the second and third one. Oh, Gauss isn't just a monster. There's a whole flock of them. They're a new evil that's going to go the whole world. And then there's Gamera just having to take the lumps for the rest of society. Who doesn't even like him? I think it's definitely there. I don't think you're imposing any sort of Western civilization, whatever, on it. I mean, the Legion starts out with a quote in the Bible about the demon Legion. It gets its name directly from... I think it's an Old Testament demon legion who's a multi, just basically multi-demon who's just bugging everybody. Um, and so, yeah, it's definitely there in the last one. It's definitely a theme, and it's something that Japan likes putting into movies. But, Japan loves Christians, so just yeah. throw a couple of crosses in the background, what's up? Uh, so, and Mike, do you, to your knowledge, because yeah. I, I, I hadn't thought of the way you were describing the very ending there as not being a cliffhanger. My impression was that they were actually looking and optioning a fourth movie that just never came to be. I, I like your uh, interpretation much better. Uh, I know you've done quite a bit of research on this. That That is how the director intended on ending the trilogy? Because if so, that's awesome. Yeah, that was his intention. And, um, okay. Uh, yeah, I mean, you're right. It's awesome. He, his, his whole point, you know, is, is in that final title that comes up after the, you know, after it cuts to black, 
uh, Gamera, Absolute Guardian of the Universe. And I can't remember if that title was on fire, but many of the you know title sequences in this movie are on fire. And uh, that was his whole point, that you know, no matter what, no matter what the odds, even if they're insurmountable, insurmountable and he's probably going to die, uh, you know, Gamera's going to be there for us. And I just think it was, it's the perfect ending for a movie or a trilogy. It's true that it is, it is such a somber feeling when you see Gamera be like, well, he's kind of like sadly saunters over toward the general spot where the, uh, where the Gauss are flying. Missing a hand at this point, here's a whole fresh thing of, of Gauss. Gamera really needs to join a uh, giant monster union because his working conditions are shit. <laughs> I mean, the only one you could really go with is Mothra because they're the only ones that are consistently good. Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, Mike, as I've been saying, you've done a lot of research on this, and you were, uh, that, that's, uh, I would love to have been at the premiere, uh, 1999 in Japan. Is there any other research that you've done, or any other facts we've, uh, we've glossed over that you'd, you'd like to make sure our audiences are aware of? Hmm. Well, you know, we were talking earlier about just, you know, how, how did they manage, you know, the effects on the, on the budgets that they had? And uh, I did run over. I, I did run across the um, the budget for the original uh, film in this trilogy was four million dollars, mm-hmm. which is is nothing. Yeah. But at the, at the same time, the the budget for the the Godzilla films that were coming out around the same time was less than a million dollars. So within the within the Japanese film industry at this time, you know, especially for something that was basically regarded as a, a kids film. This was a pretty sizable uh, budget. That's a really good look at four million dollars, and that's uh, that's interesting because um, I, 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 in my brain, I really do compare it to a, a Japanese equivalent uh, within cinema of James Bond movies because they're movies that, for, especially with the Godzilla series, the movies that I'm sure some of the parents roll their eyes at, and some of them are very nostalgic for, and will take their kids and reindoctrinate a new generation into this new version of Godzilla or the new actor playing James Bond, and they're doing the same stuff, it's just updated. He's being the cool spy that gets all the girls with gadgets. Uh, it's another giant monster that destroys the city, and he's going to fight more monsters, but it's updated or updated enough. And it's surprising me because, you know, Hollywood doesn't pour big, big, big blockbuster money into it, but Hollywood will pour 50, 70, 80 million dollars into a James But They'll pour a decent chunk in because they know they're going to make it back at least and probably a little bit of change, and certainly on video, it's just going to play forever. So I'm actually surprised they don't throw a little bit more money. Like, I don't know Japanese budgeting on most of their movies anyway, so what do I know? So uh, before, right. we, before we kind of rate things in and do our uh, top threes and Netflix ratings and such, we should talk a bit about uh, a film made a few years later called Godzilla Mothra and King Ghidorah, Giant Monsters All Out Attack. Which is the great title. Yeah, way. great title. Which is the director of the, these, these, these Gamera films, after showing how incredibly great he is in making monster films, was given the keys to, to Godzilla and was given a chance to kind of do his idea of the ultimate uh, Godzilla film. His dream. And uh, I thought it was... Disappointing. Yeah. Yeah, some dreams are better left unrealized, I think. You, you agree, Mike? I, I agree. I was incredibly disappointed with his Godzilla film. I, I feel like he sort of blew his wad with the Gamera films and he yep. just didn't have anything left to say. It's just, it just the tone really, really confused me because it, it it felt much cheaper and much sillier than the Gamera films, and that's not what I was expecting to see. It felt like he almost decided, like, okay, I gave my giant monster thesis for Gamera. Let's try and do 
a Godzilla movie that's like as silly as the other Godzilla movies, which I don't think he should have done at all. Like, do you think that was intentional or do you think that's just a budgeting issue or just like something that happened on its own? I don't know. It does. It does. It's a, it's a mystery to me. It's like you said, he, he, he seems to be trying to meet Godzilla on his own, uh, playing field, but it, it, it's, it's a disaster. But the problem, I, I think, it's not even just the fact that it disappointed me because he made it, so I was expecting something really good, which I was, just in comparison with the other Godzilla movies. And again, we've been dumping on him a lot, but that's just because you're comparing it to the best. I do like the Godzilla movies. I think they're a lot of fun. With this one, it just it changes so much of the mythos of Godzilla. It, I, I felt a little disappointed, especially after watching all these Godzilla movies, and you come in all of a sudden, oh, here's King Ghidorah, the, one of the three protectors of the planet. And I go, are you serious? Godzilla's yeah. been destroying cities. And it's, that's all he did was destroy. He has been bad in every single incarnation. And then in this one, now he's the protectorate of, of the... It just... It felt like... It, it tried to be on Godzilla level, but he, he tried to change stuff too. So it, it like it disappointed everyone. It, it wasn't this interesting thing you expected with Gamera, but then it didn't keep up with the consistent themes of the other one. So he just... He didn't meet either either standard. And for someone who had dreamed about directing a Godzilla movie and put so much time and care and detail into the details of his Gamera trilogy, and like you were saying, uh, it all comes back around. It's building to this one central theme. Uh, there's real thought put, put behind <coughs> the human characters and the monsters and the way they're shot. It feels like uh, it feels extremely slapdash. Like, well, let's try this. I don't know if that works. Whatever. And I actually, I actually disagree. I, I like the movie overall. If you had just told me this is another entry, here's another entry in the Godzilla Millennial series. Didn't say who the director is. Just director is just Rando McRando. I would have said, oh, that's got some fun stuff in it. It's definitely a Godzilla as a pro wrestler movie, and I like what a dick he is in it. Uh, there's nothing to it. Whatever. I like some of the other. You know, I, I it's not my favorite. It's not even in my top five, but. That was okay. When you put it in context of, oh, here's the Godzilla movie from the guy that directed Gamera's, uh, it is very disappointing. I would still say see it. I would actually still say it's entertaining. It's just on a completely different level than uh, Gamera. And most confusingly, it seems to try to be at a different level. And you don't know why, because he's capable of doing it at a very high plane. Yeah, and then the film does do a couple interesting things, and I do, I do, I feel similar to you. I do like it. I, just, I don't, I don't, I think it does compare unfavorably to the to the Gamera films, but I think it compares pretty favorably to other Godzilla films, especially the Millennium series. I agree. I think it, I actually, I just, I, I think it's, I mean, it's not a bad movie. I'm like, I glad I watched it. I still think it's on the lower end of the new ones, and the reason why is again they change the mythos so much. You look at the monsters, and they just don't look as good. King Ghidorah, his his neck isn't very long. He's the he's the protectorate, and he just sort of looks awkward when he moves. Uh, uh, Bar- is it Baragon? Baragon. They brought Baragon in there, and he's just sort of goofing around. I like, like how oh. he's a chump ass, and he just gets his, he does. He just gets hey. his ass kicked the whole time. I'll, 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 I will say though, I'll push back. Mothra looks great. I was gonna say that is the best looking Mothra I have ever seen. That was the most beautiful, and Mothra was in there taking it hits like a champ. That was the one of the best moths I've ever seen. Love it. Uh, and they just have a slight nod to the, the twin priestesses, which I wish they would have just said, come on, just let them have a little priestess. But great-looking Mothra. Beautiful. And as you can tell by our description, it is Godzilla as a pro wrestler movie, which, I mean, a, a lot of the Godzillas are, and that's okay if they're done well, but... I kept... Oh, sorry. The, 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 the film does do some interesting things, though, and it's more interesting in its intentions than the actual results, because it was, like... Kaneko's intention was, like, 
let's make a film where Godzilla goes back to being the biggest badass imaginable, and he's and truly dick. evil and vile. <laughs> and uh, the reason, there, there are a few tidbits about sort of the, the background. The reason why uh, King Ghidorah looks so short is because of that. It's because they wanted uh, Godzilla to be more imposing. And also, interestingly, um, the original script was not Godzilla, Mothra, and King Ghidorah. It was, the protectors were Angiris and Varen, and uh, Baragon was still there. I'm not too familiar with those older uh, Godzilla characters. He wanted to bring back those characters and have them be the protectors, but the studio said, no, you've got to do Mothra and King Ghidorah because they're more popular. But they, just, they sniffed his balls, so what's the point? What's the point of bringing King Ghidorah in when you just neuter him? I, I like that the studio was like, listen, you directed the Gamma trilogy, but you need to listen to us when you're yeah. making Godzilla movies. <laughs> do, they, do they Spider-Man 3 him? Do they go up to him like, no, you gotta put Venom in. He goes, I got nowhere to put him. No, fans love him. <laughs> put him in. I guess here's something like Venom. <laughs> well, it's true, because the, the Ghidorah doesn't satisfy fans of Ghidorah. And, who, and really, who, who isn't a fan of King Ghidorah? I mean, come on. Well, well, the film, I think it's overall an interesting installment in the in the Godzilla films for what it kind of tries to do, but it's certainly not one of the best. And again, to go back a bit to what uh, to Horb was saying, it sounds like we're pooping on the Godzilla films, but like the best that the Godzilla films have to offer are on par in entertainment value to these to these Gamma films. Like I say, these Gamma films are better than most of the Godzilla films, but I had so much fun watching Godzilla vs. King Ghidorah and Godzilla vs. the Smog Monster. I mean, they're both great as well. Please know that outside, I would say outside of the children's ones of the 70s, that while they're hit or miss, Godzilla movies are a very very fun features uh, to go through, and I, I would highly recommend them. We, I, I'm not going to get into specific recommendations because it would take forever. But uh, 80s, 80s on is a, is a pretty good bet. I, I like, the of, later ones are usually... Of, of the series, I like the 80s, 90s series the best by far. I think that you... Uh can't go wrong with anything up to about 1965 in the earlier series. Um, there's some really fantastic uh, stuff uh, right up until uh, Godzilla versus the Sea Monster, which yeah. I think is the last really good Godzilla film in the early series. And, and then, yeah, after that, there's there's a lot of problems. Uh, except except for I, I love Hedora. I love how insane that movie is. Oh, I forgot about that one. That's a really good one. Yeah. That. That one, the uh, the producer, the the pr- producer of the films was uh, actually uh, took ill, and the director just went crazy. And, uh, <laughs> he did. This is a true story. When the producer got back from like a six month stay in the hospital, he immediately fired the uh, Bono, <laughs> the director, and said, "You will never work on another giant monster movie again as long as you live." And he was banned. I guess from the lot. I don't know. Took away his keys. Or That's amazing. But, uh, H- Hedorah is the on her, on His Majesty's Secret Service of the Godzilla movies, and there are some people like me who absolutely adore it, and there are some people that think it's. I think most people actually probably came around to liking it. I'm sure at the time there were a lot of people that just thought it was batshit crazy, but I I love it. I think Hedorah is absolutely incredible and has more value than almost every other game. I mean, sorry, Godzilla film I've seen, just because it's so interesting and bizarre. Yeah, um, yeah. That's that's just a quick a quick bit about the uh, what happened. What the director did with Giant Monsters after the Gamma films. So let's let's, so, let's, let's let's wrap it all up. Yeah, I suppose let's let's do our uh, let's, let's do some top threes. Or do you have a top three? I don't. Next. <laughs> Yo, Ben, you got a top three? Sure, I got uh, top three babes from uh, from the Gamma trilogy, and it's kind of cheating. Uh, number one is the uh, bird scientist, or excuse me, number three, is the bird scientist <laughs> from the first movie. 
The number two is the bird scientist from the third movie, because she's way hotter. And number one still <laughs> explains bugs and how they relate to Legion in uh, Gamma vs. Legion. Uh, I guess I take that back. I do have a top three. It's a correction of Ben's top three. Uh, uh, the Ms. Exposition is not even on the list. Uh, you know what? For the top, for the number three, I'm going to go ahead and go with the uh, the girl who fuses with Iris. Uh, even though she's young, uh, she's so angry. I'm like, okay, give it a couple of years. I'll be interested. I'll <laughs> up with it. Uh, number two is the Psychic. Uh, again, uh, just because, you know, I really feel for her. I think that she's going to put a lot of thought uh, and, and I think you know, she's just a really sweet girl. And the number one is the ornithologist because she's just a total babe and she takes care of business. I mean, she does. She's sticking her hand in this giant guyo shit. Oh god, I love that. Just, just picking it up and just pushing people out of the way and making everyone listen to her and just jumping on the plane to go straight to them. Like she's not in the background. She's she's Indiana Jonesing it. Uh, so my top three is actually just a correction of Ben's top three. Uh, Mike. Um, I would just like to share the uh, top three uh, giant monster films that we haven't even talked about yet. Good. Um, uh, I guess we did talk a little bit about the Dimogene trilogy, which uh, I recommend everyone check out. It combines giant monsters with samurais. Um, The second one everyone should try is uh, Attack of the Mushroom People, in which uh, a lot of the actors who appeared in in these Godzilla films uh, over the years appear in this completely unrelated film in which they land on this island and uh, they all turn turn into giant mushrooms. Mm. Uh, And then the uh, final film, also uh, from Daie, the people who gave us Gamera and and Daimajin, it's called 100 Monsters. And uh, it's it's got uh, 100 monsters in it. And it's, it's... it's a, a lot of old, uh, it's a period film with a lot of old Japanese legends just kind of thrown against the wall just to see what might stick, and it's fantastic. Toby? Uh, my top three is kind of, uh, uh, goes back to what we were just talking about. I thought I'd give a little more time to Godzilla, because you know we probably wouldn't be talking about this if we hadn't all watched Godzilla films first. And I'll give my top three uh, Godzilla films that I've seen. Now, I'll say that I've only seen a little less than half of the full series, and we really kind of overloaded on Godzilla in preparation for the podcast. We watched uh, 10 Godzilla movies in, in two weeks just to get a little more perspective on how uh, how the Gamma films compare. And, and, and please uh, note, my, my, uh, I didn't get Godzilla fatigued at all, and neither did Horror, I, I don't think you did either, Toby. No, I, I could have. It's impossible. It was you just popcorn. It. It, was it was popcorn that you can just keep eating. You keep enjoying it, and you're not getting filled, and... Just keep, you know, just keep spooning it in. It's interesting because when I was a kid, I actually found the Godzilla films to be kind of dull, but now I just can't get enough of them. Uh, so, uh, of the ones that I've seen, uh, my number three is the aforementioned Godzilla versus uh, Hedora, or Godzilla versus the Smog Monster, just an experimental batshit, amazing, simultaneously kid-friendly and horrifying uh, creature that's unlike any other movie that I've ever seen, Godzilla or otherwise. Uh, number two is Godzilla vs. King Ghidorah from 1991, which is, again, completely insane. It has 15 different storylines involving time travel and aliens and a completely out of place but completely hilarious uh, wedged in uh, Terminator 2 ripoff uh, android sequence and character. <laughs> so much great stuff in that film. Uh, King Ghidorah is a complete badass and the fight scenes are great. It's unbelievably entertaining and uh, just completely amazing. And of course, number one is the original Godzilla film, 
one of the greatest movies ever made. Uh, we, uh, ratings? Oh, yeah. yeah let's, let's do, yeah, uh, I guess we'll do our ratings, ratings of, of the camera. camera films as a whole. Uh, I'm going to actually do them one at a time, uh, and then I'll go to the thing. Uh, so, uh, Godzilla uh, versus uh, Protective Guardian of the Earth the versus Gauss. I'm going to go ahead and give it four out of five. Wait, go back. You called it Godzilla. Oh. Ha! Gamera versus Gauss. I'm going to go ahead and give four out of five. Uh, <laughs> Gamera, Attack of the Legion. I'm going to give three and a half out of five. I still love it, and as part of the trilogy, I think it's really necessary. But of the three, I felt it dragged the most. Uh, and then Revenge of Iris, I hope I'm not starting a trend when it's all going to be necessary, but I really have to give it a five. I would seriously watch that movie many more times, because every time, you know, as I watch it, it's just everything about it entertained the hell out of me. Uh, so as a whole, I'm actually going to go with, with four out of five, 4.5 out of five, if I can do it, 4.5 out of five. Uh... Because the last movie is so strong, it really drags the rest of them up. Or as a whole, you think back, you're like, ah, what a great package as all of them. So 4.5 out of 5 for the for the whole trilogy. I was going to do individual ratings, too. And I'm actually trying to think, I was trying to think back on what I had rated them. Because uh, I thought, I, I gave the original one 3.5. And, and I still think I stand by it. And I thought I gave 2 and 3, uh, both both Legion and Revenge of Iris 4s. Um, it should be noted that I, I definitely think the third one is the superior movie. Uh, and it's kind of crazy shit in it that I feel like it should bump it up to four, four and a half. But I will, I'll give the series four and a half because I do think it is very much the sum is greater than the whole of its parts by far. Um, uh, oh, sorry. I'll, I'll go. Uh, I will give the, the, the first film a straight four. The, the second film a 3.5. I think it dips a bit. Uh, with the second one, but it's still great. And the uh, the fourth one, I'll go. I think I'll just go back to a to a straight. I'm sorry, the third film, I'll go back to a straight four as well, and I'll give the entire package also a four point five, just because like these films are amazing. I'm gonna I'm gonna I only just saw them for the first time this year, and I'm gonna be rewatching them probably more times than I can count over the course of the rest of my life. I, uh, I I agree with sort of the general tenor of the ratings. I'd probably give the the first one a, a, a four, four and a half. Uh, the second one would just have to go a notch down from that, so a, probably a three and a half. And uh, the the third one gets a twenty eight, <laughs> maybe, which which kind of bumps up the series average to a, a five <laughs> for me. So All right, well, uh, yeah. thanks for joining us on this episode, uh, this very special episode, Mike. And thanks for having me. Uh, and, to, uh, to play us out, do we have the, the classic Gamera theme? I think we should go for the awesome pop song from the end of Guardian of the Universe. Oh, okay. Yeah. Good night, everybody. Bye.